Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 94. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots. Mm-hmm. Each episode, one of us gets to choose. Choosing. The choosing. Mm. And uh, then uh, enforced viewing ensues. Yes. And then when we, uh, we unpack it all here for you. And we take turns, mm-hmm. right? It was my turn. It was your turn. I had to think about it for like the three two months, months. Yeah. two, three months, yeah. something like that. Three months. Um, so, Well, the Taylor Swift album came out, so we had to take a break for that. Yeah, so we do apologize. Uh, apparently, <laughs> we've been on hiatus for about, since November. Yeah. I think yeah. our last, sorry, if you've been waiting, <laughs> our last episode came out in November. It was your pick, and it was Letter to Three Wives. Mm-hmm. See, I can even remember what it was. It's pretty good. Um, and then, uh, as usual, these hiatus... Hi, hi, what's plural for hiatus? Hiatus. No. Haiti? That, That's a country. Now all I can think about is the painting <laughs> The Oath of the Harati by Jean-Louis David. Mm. Um, art That's history. all I can think art, about, too. Art history, folks. Uh, UCSD, <laughs> circa 1993. Um, the stuff that sticks with yeah, you. Yeah, as usual, this was an unplanned hiatus. Uh, a lot happened, life-wise. We did actually watch two other movies before we ended well, up with this one. So. You have a you have a co-host <laughs> who's a little indecisive sometimes about what movie he wants to actually talk about. So sometimes I have the urge to watch something, and then as soon as we finish watching it, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that on the podcast. Well, I mean, I think it was just time got away with us on the first one, which was what Wings of Desire was the first one. Yeah. So <laughs> here here we are. These are the lost episodes. <laughs> the lost of Shut up episodes. and watch this. We watched, <laughs> and I actually, episode. I want to tell you, I made four pages of notes yeah. on Wings of Desire by Vim Vendors. Mm. I think we both watched it. We were both into it. We I were going to talk yeah. about it. And then we were going to record the next day, and then I didn't feel like it. Yeah. It was a work day or something like that. And then we never felt like it And we ever never talked again. about it ever again. And then you were like, why don't we just do the one, like, this is now two months later. You're oh, like, why don't we just do the one that uh, we were going to do? And I'm like... Uh, what are we going to do, watch it again? We're going to sit through Wings of Desire again? Yeah. No. No, apparently not. Nobody wants to do that. No, I actually like the movie, but I didn't. Well, I also suggested that we do Caché, but I wasn't talking about Caché. I was talking about a different movie. This was confusing to me <laughs> because we had never talked about doing Caché on the movie. I thought Caché is a good movie, but... It is. Yeah. <laughs> and Juliette Binoche is in Caché. Caché, yes. What you and really- it's French... <laughs> It, well, it's yes, the movie's French, but it's by Michael Haneke, yeah. or whatever his name is. Um, what you really meant was certified copy. Certified, that's exactly what I meant instead. Which it is did a, start which with is a, a Z, which and is, have Julia Binoche. It's an Iranian French film instead of a German French film, okay. or whatever Haneke well, is, yeah. I don't even know. It's internationalness, <sighs> worldliness. Anyway. Anyway, we're sorry we've been gone so long. Um, I think that we need to uh, officially announce, lest we go on hiatus for another three months, yeah. that we can we can commit to a podcast a month at this point. Yeah, there's a Those lot Those of you who've on. been with us for a while, we used to put out an episode, per, you know, every two weeks, like every clockwork, two weeks, the first yeah. couple of years, and then these gaps started coming up. Um, we've been bad this year. This year's life well, started back it, up it, again. I don't. I can't yeah. apologize for the stuff going on in life. You know, yeah. there's like just a lot going on <laughs> with my kids and all that. And, you know, man, my mom passed away in November as yeah. well. Anyway, we're gonna talk about comedy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry to be flippant, but it is now. What well, was funny about it is when you were setting, you like did, we're going to do this whole explanation of like why you were choosing this film before you even told me what it was, and I was like, we don't need to do all of this. But then when you actually put it on, I was kind of like. Mm. <laughs> so you have to know, like, how long have we been together now? Uh, six years in uh, in March. In so. my mind, I knew you so well, and your biases entering this. That I'm not exactly quiet about this one. Yeah, that I knew this. That I I felt like I needed a preamble and a, yeah. and, a and a defense slash something yeah. to before even revealing what the movie was going to be. It's not Star Wars, at least. So okay. there's that. Well, everybody knows what it is because it's yeah. in the episode title. Oh, okay. 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 However, know. if you want to pretend that we're now going to reveal <laughs> the subject of the episode, it is the second biggest box office hit of 1982. Dustin. It's the first is E.T.? Is yes. That... Okay. Thank you. Thanks for stealing my yep. thunder. <laughs> I still haven't said the title of the movie. Sorry. It's Tootsie. Tootsie. Sidney Pollock, director. Uh, starring Dustin Hoffman and Jessica Lange and Terry Garr and mm-hmm. Dabney Coleman and Bill Murray. Uh, Gina Davis in her first role, bit part. Yeah, it's not much of a role for her. No, but it's got a, it's got a cat. And Charles Durning. Yeah, yeah. As uh, Jessica Lange's dad. So um, where do we go? Should Do I need to talk? Do I need to defend or just why I chose this? Or? Uh, I think we usually do, yeah, why you chose it, and then I say why I haven't okay. seen it. So. so it seems like half the time when I talk about why I chose something, there's some kind of weirdness, there's some nostalgic story or yeah. something like that. And that's just, the, the, I can remember the first time I see movies sometimes. And then I, I come to this show where we're going to talk about the movie, and mm-hmm. it's like I want to get that off my chest, but I also realize that it doesn't actually have anything to do with the, with the movie yeah. itself. With judge. However, I will say... Uh, 1982, I was 11 years old. I went out to lunch at uh, Original Joe's restaurant yeah. in San Francisco on Chestnut Street, that Chestnut area we always walk around when mm. we go there now. And uh, it's not there anymore, the restaurant. And then uh, with my grandma and my dad, and then we went to see Tootsie at, and I can't remember the name of the theater that used to be on that street, because that's long gone too. Yeah, yeah. Um, we saw Tootsie there, matinee, I don't know, two, three o'clock in the mm. afternoon. And um, I loved it even then as an 11-year-old. And then, so I guess in some way, it's, like, definitely associated with all the wonderful times my dad would just take me to random movies that I didn't know what they were. And he was usually pretty good at picking them. This just happened to be there. And he's like, oh, this will probably work for Dave. It'll probably work for his mom, too, or whatever. Um, And then it became a favorite of my mom. So it's it's one that we had probably a VHS copy of recorded off Showtime and that we would watch quite often. It's one of the, like you were always talking about the movies you guys watch. It was one of those that got played a lot. So I've probably seen it, I don't know, at least half a dozen times, if not more. And then, not at all, for 20 years. (laughs) I'm sure I haven't (laughs) seen it in 20 years. And so I was really nervous about this. I yeah, was yeah. really worried about how this movie would date. Um, I was worried about what we would see about gender politics in 1982, yeah. what was considered mainstream, what's acceptable, what is this movie's take on men and women and, and feminism. and and um, But... but what I remembered was a really, really entertaining, well-acted, well-written comedy. Yeah. Um, 
with a lot of great characters in it. And this, and of course I was, as a kid, I was also fascinated by this behind the scenes television kind of thing where they're filming the soap opera and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, now I chose it for you mm. because I knew that you thought you would hate it. Yes. And I said, okay, if I'm having trouble picking a movie, you know, that I, I want to watch with you and then talk about and record, um, at least let me pick one that we can have something to talk about. So I thought whatever it is your take on it is, it would make for an interesting conversation. I have to say, Ashley, and I think you've said it on the show before, does not like some like it hot or any kind of farce yeah. where men dress up as women. I mean, forget about it. Yep. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Don't so get before her- we go too much further, I mean, like, I think I need to say, I need to, uh, perhaps on theme with this particular thing, I need to be the one... To say this, which is the reason I haven't seen this film is that I absolutely despise most films where men are dressing up as women because the comedy is entirely in like how ridiculous women are and how men don't understand how we could behave that way and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, God bless him. I love... um, Director of Sense. Billy Wilder. I love Billy Wilder films. I mean, like, and they are a product of their time, but that one, like, it's, like, supposed to be one of the funniest movies of all time, and, like, when I watch it, I can't enjoy it because the entire comedy is just Jack Lemmon being dressed up as a woman. Is the whole... Well, and, and Tony Martin, Curtis. Tony Curtis, not Dean Martin. Um, all men are the same. Um <laughs> All men of that era are the same. But, I mean, like, the thing is, is that I believe that film in particular inspired all these other films where men dress up as women, and the whole joke is, isn't it ridiculous that these manly men are dressed up like women? Which, like, completely, I mean, even ten years ago was not how I ever viewed gender, but especially considering how much development that I've done about understanding gender and gender roles and how harmful they are and... All of that sort of thing. So anyway, I never saw it, even though I know it has a fantastic screenplay. It's always listed amongst the top screenplays of all time. My ex-husband, you know, always, like, adamantly defended Tootsie as, like, a thing. But I, you know, actively avoided it just because I I, I was afraid that that was going to be the joke. You know, you hear comedy, man dressed as woman... And there's a little of that here, but not as much as I expected. So there's that. <laughs> so uh, here's where I want y'all to think I was brave because I knew this is how she felt about it. And I thought, let me just push this one anyway. This is the only mm-hmm. circumstance under which you would probably ever watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. Is in the, in the name of the, for the good of the podcast. Yes, that's right. It's like, and with the added guilt of we haven't done one in three months. Yeah. So like, and Dave chose this. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just remembered, even though most of my memories of this movie, I probably watched this mm. from that period of the yeah. first time I saw it when I'm about 11, you know, maybe till the age of 17 or 18. And yeah. then I, pro- then probably not again for decades. Yeah. But I, I think I was a more mature movie goer than most. I mean, I know yeah. I was, I mean, to have liked this movie at age 11 and I just felt like there's more to this movie in my memory than it being a stupid sex farce, like, some yeah. like it hot. Yeah. You know? 
um, which I actually do enjoy, although I, I hear I, I, I like it less and less the more we talk about it. Yeah. Um, and they're not in Florida. It's San Diego. So then it's Coronado Island. I was really worried and so okay the other reason I chose look I'm still just defending why defending why I chose this is because I wanted to see this through my eyes now yeah I'm 51 year old man yeah you know this is a different person than the kid who saw this when he's like (laughs) adolescent um and and what does this movie look like this movie from 40 years ago it's yeah. 41 years old now. It came out in 82. What does this movie look like now? How does it play? Does yeah. it work at all? What is what is good about it, if anything? What is bad about it? What hasn't aged well? What? I'll tell you, when I, I started Googling this morning, when I was deciding yeah. between this and something else, and uh, when I Googled Tootsie, I came across all these like reevaluations of it in 2022 yeah. sort of blog posts and newspaper articles looking at it after 40 years. Yeah. And a fair number of them were like, this doesn't look so good anymore. And this is yeah. like not what you remember. And, and then some of them were like, this is still like there's, a, there's this is still a classic film. And, you know, The Guardian wrote a nice piece about it. Yeah. For instance. New <laughs> well, York Times ran a more critical thing. didn't read any of those. I did sort of look them up, but I didn't read any because... I didn't, I didn't read any. I, I didn't want to bias yeah, my yeah. own views on this, you know. Um, so I'll say I didn't hate it. So yeah. there's that. I mean, like, if you're looking for a knockdown drag out between someone who hates this film and someone who no, loves I it, mean, then you're not going to find that. I don't here. particularly... <laughs> Like having uh, tense uh, yeah. discussions or arguments. <laughs> However, maybe maybe those make for more interesting podcast episodes. Yeah. So anyway, I feel like <laughs> there's enough going on here between what the movie set out to do and what is actually there that they might not even be aware of. Well, that's that's and that's, that's the, my big thing is like I think that subtly they ended up with a message that I don't even know if was intended or not. No, I I yeah. agree. I think. I'm eager to get into yeah. that in a few minutes, yeah. but I did notice the whole time. I think this is probably going to be a lot of what we talk about yeah. is the tension between the script, the movie, the movie they think they're making yeah, yeah. and the attitudes and biases and the actual thing that the movie is saying, Yeah, yeah. which I, and I agree that they might not even be aware of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious <laughs> as to, I would be, Interested, I mean, maybe to read an interview with this, is it Sidney Pollack write it too, or no? No, um, it's, I mean, it had a long development process and it started um, in a completely other form, just the bare premise of an actor dressing up as a woman to get a part um, as a, as a a play script, I think, that went through, somebody picked up and then it eventually ended up um, making its way to Dustin Hoffman. And so I think then he started developing it with his Okay. company and then various writers and directors came on as happens mm-hmm. um and i wish i could remember other directors who were attached to it at some point but it ended up being written the screenplay written or co-written um, by larry gelbert yeah who was the creator of mash the tv series and uh, just a you know legend in sort of comedy writing tv comedy writing primarily for years and years yeah. used to write for sid caesar and all that kind of stuff um and then uh, somebody started on it and had to leave. It might have been Hal Ashby or mm. somebody like that. Oh, and then uh, they and he had to leave for contractual 
reasons because he had to deliver post-production of his last film and the timing was not working out and he yeah. had to like drop out suddenly they pulled in Sidney Pollack Dustin Hoffman convinced Sidney Pollack to play his agent George Fields yeah. in the movie and Pollack really didn't want to do it he hadn't acted in years but Dustin Hoffman was <laughs> persistent and got him to do it and damn if those scenes don't steal the show yeah, they're pretty good yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sidney Pollack is really good they're really good together but Mile a minute. We need to back up and give the premise of the movie. Okay. Do you want to take a stab so at it? So I actually really like the intro part. I mean, like, it takes a while to, I mean, as it would, to get into the, you know, why he's suddenly dressing up like a woman to get parts. Um, but I do really like the sort of in- intro credit sequence where it's showing all the different ways that he's, like, screwed up his acting career and, um, you know, been like confrontational with directors and not flexible with um you know i mean it's like it's almost like why are you working in theater if you're not capable of taking direction from people because that's what working in theater is you know um but that's neither here nor there he's clearly a good actor he's clearly good at sharing his expertise and talent with other people he's a good teacher but he just can't take direction so <laughs> and he's a perfectionist yeah yeah <laughs> so he you know they give they give they show you these little glimpses in the opening of you know he can't play tolstoy yeah. dying because the director wants him to get up and move to center stage yeah. and he won't do it because tolstoy is dying and then yeah. he just he walks out yeah well that's that director should figure out a way to get him there better but just have the part of the set where he's slumped against in the center in stage. In the center of the stage, yeah. <laughs> anyway, he, the as you said, the movie very, really, it's such a good opening yeah. with the with giving you everything you need to know about yeah. this actor, Michael Dorsey, how difficult and inflexible he is, but how shrewdly intelligent and good he is, yeah, too. Yeah. But he can't work with anybody. He cannot take direction. He can't compromise. He has his vision of a part and, you know, he can't play a tomato in a commercial, the joke is, because yeah. the tomato can't sit down. Yeah. Because the tomato can't move. That's right. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, I mean, he is trying to earn money in order to put on his roommate's play, his roommate who is Bill Murray. Yeah. In, like, actually, I didn't know that Bill Murray was doing understated roles like this this early. Like, yeah. I thought he was just doing, um, you know, Caddyshack and stuff like I, that at this time frame. <laughs> I think this is probably one of the first, because yeah. he was doing those sort of big comedies like yeah. stripes and fatty shack um yeah 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 but and then well like and and we find out all this at, at like a really cool like party scene like in yeah. his in their like giant messed up loft that they share they have like a big party it's a party for it's his birthday it's his birthday yeah. I get, um i wasn't clear on if it was really his birthday or not but, yeah, it was his birthday. Okay, it sounded like it was an excuse to maybe meet some people in the industry or something like that. Um, I think he's such a morose son of a bitch that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that um, Bill Murray tried to, you know, through the surprise party yeah. to introduce him to other people. To other people, yeah. okay, yeah. So, I mean, that, but I thought that that was a really good scene. Um, you know, like the sort of interlapping of conversations and you get different characters sort of arise, like Terry Garr's character. You kind of figure out a little bit about her and what And she's Michael doing. trying to pick up girls at the party. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so keep running. Oh, what happens after that then? 
he takes. I guess he takes Terry Gar to an to a. Yes, it's the, it's that it's that night is uh, yeah. Terry Gar is one of his acting students and a and a good friend like more than that. I mean, she's yeah. been a, they've been friends for, for six, like six years. years. Yeah. The three of them are going to put the play on Jeff, mm-hmm. the Bill Murray character who's writing it, and and uh, Dustin Hoffman and Terry Gar are going to star in it. And that night, I, I think after the as the party breaks, she's upset and feeling down about herself because she has an audition the next yeah. day for a part that she doesn't know what to do with. It's a type of character she doesn't want really even want to play i think she's too young to play it based on what actually happens but basically kind of a uh, she's supposed to play like a middle-aged hospital administrator for this soap soap opera what i remember the name of the soap opera in the show it's like northwest general or some sort of hospital or something northwest general maybe and so he go he agrees to help her out and they do the scene together and the problem is she's not able to sort of latch on to her anger she's sort of like a I guess her character is kind of like a high-strung, insecure actress yeah. thing going I mean, on. It's all rejection as an yeah. actor, right? But yeah. she takes it really personally and really hard, so it's hard for her to work herself up to play this angry, assertive character. Yeah. And he immediately starts coaching her and, and even per- like playing her. some of the lines. Yeah. Like he, <laughs> and he immediately slips into that southern accent and, yeah. and, and plays it how he would do it for her. And then pisses her off so that yeah. she can play. That she can well. play the the role. And then she goes to the audition. He goes with her. And it's one of those things where she goes in, the director takes a look at her and is like, no, you're not the right type. And sends her out, won't even let her read or, you know, for the role. Um, which is, you know, she's frustrated. And, and um, I guess this is when Michael gets an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what happens is, uh, is by the by, he I, when they're at the audition, he yeah. hears that an actor he knows that he doesn't oh, respect right. was put up for the Iceman Cometh, and his Ooh. agent, George Fields, played by Sidney Pollack, was supposed to put him up for that, so he storms away and goes off to confront his agent. Why didn't I get yeah. put up for this part? What's going on? And that's when you get into the, the do you want the real truth here? Yeah. The truth is... Nobody wants to work with you. Yeah. Nobody will hire you. You're too difficult. You argue with everybody. Yeah. And it's just, it's one of my favorite scenes yeah, in the movie. Yeah, it's a good scene. <laughs> um, I had, uh, years ago, in probably in the 90s, sometime after college, maybe when I was visiting um, my mom, she lived right next to San Francisco yeah. State. And I don't know how I got wind of it, but I heard that Sidney Pollack was doing like a master class mm. kind of thing or like an evening with Sidney Pollack thing. It was free. It was for the film students, whatever. They put it on the little auditorium in the student union. And I got to go to that. And he came with his reel of like clips from his movies mm. and he talked and took questions. And like, it was really awesome. But that's the scene he showed from, from, from Tootsie, Tootsie. Okay. was his scene with uh, Dustin Hoffman that they do where they're, Yeah. They, I mean, <laughs> they play off of each other really well. They have a lot of good energy between them, and you know, this movie does a really good job of like some of the examples and some of the lines of dialogues and some of the things that they say that Michael has done. Like it's just hyperbolic and completely yeah. lunatic, and like it does not unreal. Yeah, but somehow it works in the reality of the story, like playing the tomato, whatever you the know. Tomato somebody- isn't logical. <laughs> He's like, you argue with everybody. You can't play Tolstoy because Tolstoy can't walk when he's dying or walk or talk when he's walking or eat when he's swimming. <laughs> so, moment of truth. Nobody will hire you. And that's when he gets the idea. Yeah, that's when. And actually, interestingly, I love the cut here because instead of doing like a stupid 80s montage where you're 
you know no. what the idea is. Like the, the next, it's like a cut shot of of him dressed as Tootsie, like right and away. Even better than that, or it's Dorothy, a, it, not a, Tootsie. Don't call him Tootsie. It's a shot. It's a telephoto <laughs> shot of a huge crowd of morning commuters walking yeah. towards the camera the next day, <laughs> and then a few beats into it, a few seconds in, you see Dustin Hoffman dressed up as. Dorothy Michaels. Dorothy Michaels. So now Michael Dorsey has assumed the the role of uh, Dorothy Michaels. He yes. switched his name around. And he goes in to read for the part that Terry Gar missed. And uh, he gets it. Hilarity well, he, he argues with the director too, but somehow it works this time. We don't know why. <laughs> I think it's the assistant director on set that kind of convinces the director well, he, to deal with he it. He argues with the director. Yeah. He storms out. Mm-hmm. He basically switches on this whole, like, assertive kind of, I'm not going to take this bullshit, like, looking me up and down. Yeah. Like, because they look at him. They do the same thing to him that they did with Terry Gar. Yeah. You they... see the scene this time. You see what happens in the room. Dabney Coleman, who plays the director on the soap, looks at him and says, I'm sorry, toots or honey or whatever. Yeah. You, we're looking for a certain type, physical type, and you're not it. And then... I'm going to say it. She goes off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is interesting because Dustin Hoffman now spends the rest, 90% of the rest of the movie as Dorothy Michaels. Yeah, that's true. And I really did switch into thinking of him as she. Yeah. <laughs> because he lives as Dorothy through most of that film. Yeah. Except when you see these inner, usually scenes with um, his roommate. Yeah. Where they're talking about, where they're dealing with, you know, the ins and outs of maintaining the illusion. You know, it's interesting. Like, I will say that one movie that I watched a lot when I was young, like fifth or sixth grade, is Mrs. Doubtfire came out around that time. Oh, does that, did that pass your test of being watchable? Well, I mean, like, I was 11. So, I mean, like, I remember watching Mrs. Doubtfire was when I was in the hospital in fourth grade for pneumonia. So, I mean, like... Me and my brother watched that a lot. It All was eleven-year-olds like have favorite uh, men in drag movies. I no. guess so. I I don't know. Um, I think that there's something. I think that probably Robin Williams and whoever developed Mrs. Doubtfire were probably playing up a lot on the better parts of Tootsie, which is that at at its core there is sort of an emotional story. I don't know that it's as successful even as Mrs. Doubtfire is. Although it's a little schmaltzy, you know, as some of the, you know, 90s Robin Williams films were. They're mm-hmm. a little, a little bit um, too um, sweet in there. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's interesting that there's, um, you do sort of think about, the reason I bring this up is that you do think about them as separate, like, as separate people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the physicality of Dustin Hoffman is different than the physicality of Dorothy. You know, the physicality of Robin Williams is different than Mrs. Doubtfire, you know. Well, this is funny because yeah. I'm, I mean, I know this movie very well, but the cut that you really like. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was like, wow, we really have to make a leap of faith here. Yeah. We have to imagine that he threw this together from one day to the next because yeah. he's got the physicality down. He has the basic look down, the clothes, the way of walking, the voice, the mannerisms. Like by the time he goes into that, by the time yeah. we see him for the first time walking down the street. So we didn't get any kind of decision. We didn't get the transition. Yeah. We didn't get any, any of 
the actor's work in putting yeah. together this character, he becomes her immediately. We just have to accept it. There's no yeah. transition. It literally just cuts to now he's Dorothy Michaels and he's going to be a soap actress. Well, in the in some of the establishing shots in the credits, <clears throat> they have him like using stage makeup and mm-hmm. wigs and putting on a mustache, you know, in order to play a role. So, I mean, like... I mean, and maybe this isn't as clear to people who haven't done theatrical productions, but I have. And so, like, as an actor who does theatrical productions, you would be familiar with, you know, stage makeup and and hair and putting on fake mustaches and all of the stuff that goes along with that. So, I mean, like, he probably has a one-up on your, like, average Joe, like Tom Hanks yeah. dressing like a woman or whatever in that show. <laughs> um you know, so he probably had a little bit more experience. Um, yeah. So here's the thing, though. <laughs> he gets that part yeah. because he's unofficially auditioning, just meeting them. And it's because he's assertive yeah. and strong-willed and not going to be a pushover and not going to take any of the sexist banter and immediately, like, stands up for herself, himself, yeah. herself. And... And gets the part because yeah. the the producer likes him. Yeah. And then, well, the rest of the, the career part of the movie is his meteoric rise as this groundbreaking character, Dorothy yeah. Michaels, who's groundbreaking because now this is something that does not actually happen in television, I assume, mm-hmm. is uh, Michael as Dorothy playing this hospital administrator keeps completely going way off script. Off script, Like, he can't deal with this this stupid character or these scenes as written where he's just supposed to, you know, let the the flirty older doctor kiss it because he kisses every new leading lady. Uh, And so he keeps just... He goes, yeah. he goes, what's it called? He goes rogue, like on off script all the time. And it freaks them out, but like it, the ratings soar yeah. and it actually influences the way they write and, and present that character going forward. So this was where I'm kind of like, I'm not sure if the, if this is intentional or, I mean, like, so like what it feels like when you're watching it is that the reason that he makes these changes is because he's uncomfortable kissing a man. I don't know if that's the case, but... That's only that first change. Yeah, ultimately what ends up happening is that he does something which, like, a lot of women have trouble doing, which is loudly rejects his advances, you know. And then, but the thing is, is, like, immediately after that happens on camera, the actor does, like, shows that he's attracted to Dorothy the actress and kisses her not on camera, you know, and he doesn't react that way. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing. Like, I don't, I don't really know what, what the message is. I mean, like, I think we're supposed to think when he actually kisses her non-consensually right after that's the cut where he slaps the actor in during the scene. Yeah. The, the guy as written on the page leans in to kiss her in the hallway and like, we're going to make such a wonderful team. And he takes the stack of folders and and slaps him on the head and hits him. Yeah. Yeah. So then afterwards the, right after the camera's cut, the actor comes over. It's, uh, um, what? I can't think of the name of that actor all of a sudden. Is it on the list? <laughs> yeah, it's on the list. Um, uh, it's not on the list. Um, well, 
Oh, it is. It's George Gaines. I didn't know his name. He plays this actor, uh, Van Horn. Anyway, he comes over and says, I really like what you did on on camera just then. And and then he squirt, squirt, and then he leans in to kiss her. I think he's supposed to take her off guard. She's not expecting that. That's all I get out of that, because I don't know why he wouldn't do the same thing again. Yeah. It wasn't just a performance. It was it was supposed to be hell no. Yeah, yeah. Rejection all around. I don't know. It's like it's curious, like, especially after like the Me Too movement to like like if they were aware which some people must have been that that behavior was uncalled for and not appreciated by the actresses. <laughs> then why did it take us freaking 40 years to get to a point where somebody could actually say something, you know? Because it was <laughs> unwanted, but accepted yeah. Yeah. by the industry. Yeah. And even the other actresses the in the movie, Ooh. particularly like... Um, Gina Davis, yeah. or they're all, they all tell him, oh, he's good. I have to deal with that too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, they, I know that. They call him Mr. Tongue or something yeah. like that because he kisses, he, he, yeah, yeah he goes after everybody. He, and they just laugh about everyone. it. They yeah. laugh about it. It's like it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And that's, that's what they're showing us the industry yeah. is like. At least then. I don't know. It's so. It's hard. that horrible men will be men kind of thing. To, to, I mean, like, once you've gotten to a point, I mean, and like, we aren't even at that advanced beyond this point. I mean, just being able to acknowledge him is like baby steps beyond this. But, like, it's amazing to me, like, to go back and watch, like, Moonlighting or this show, this movie, and see, like, how far we've come in 40 years and how the 80s, you know, I would, when this film came out, I was. Uh, there's, they showed a baby in the party scene, and I was like, I was the age of that baby yeah. <laughs> when this film came out. Um, you know, just like how much like the 50s, the 80s were. Mm-hmm. You know, how still ingrained the gender roles were that like any... And like the mainstream was to make fun of, you know, women demanding equal rights and... Those were the, you know, they were of the, you know, if the 70s they were making fun of hippies, in the 80s they're making fun of, you know, feminists that are, you know, marching for their rights, just like we make fun of woke people now, which that's a whole other thing that pisses me off. But, you know, um, like as if being aware of injustice in our society is something to be made fun of, Mm -hmm. which is hard for me, you know, I mean, not that this... (laughs) It's just all those things that it brings up for me, not yeah. that, that this really... I mean, it's sort of like lightly dabbles into the feminist narrative, Yeah, you know. Um, thankfully, if it had been a, a much heavier touch, I think it would have completely not played at all, ever. So, yeah. I mean, like, I think they had to be really light on it. Um, you know, it's, it's just interesting <laughs> to now, think about. I really want to talk about the the other side of this movie or yeah. what becomes the core of the movie are Michael's relationships with the other women yeah. in the film particularly his relationship with um Julie the Jessica Lang character yeah and um 
and with Terry Garr's character, Gar's Sandy. Sandy. Can you, you kind of give us a, a little note about uh, who Julie is in the movie, the Jessica Lange character? So Julie is like the big, is like the nurse, the main character on the show. Yeah. And she is like sort of like, I guess she's like the hot nurse. Um, we don't see too much of her like interactions her on scenes, the show. Yeah. But she's also dating the director um, mm-hmm. of the show. Everybody's favorite yeah. uh, Sh- male misogynist chauvinist, um, Dabney Coleman. Who's, uh, I love in 9 to 5 as the terrible chauvinist yeah, We should boss. watch 9 to 5 again. I haven't seen uh, that I since I love 9 to 5. I have always loved 9 to 5. Um, although I would argue that it's operating under similar uh, constraints. Um as this film is. And we discover along the way that uh, Julie um, is a single, uh, unmarried single mom, which mm-hmm. like, I guess is supposed to be shocking or something like that. As With a, a toddler, like an 18 yeah, month old yeah, or a baby. Who, basically. And like, they never really get into the parent, but I assume it must be the director. Cause it sounds like they've been together for a while. Um, even though he's married to someone else. I didn't get the else. impression that he was the father. She doesn't talk about okay, him as she, if he's the father. So, I mean, like, I guess it's just intended to be sort of like a expectations or something like that. Um, because there is a weird scene when um, uh, Michael and his roommate are sitting around and, like, nobody can answer the phone because they don't... That's a great scene. Um <laughs> Because, um, you know, uh, Michael doesn't want anybody to think that Dorothy is a woman of lo- loose character. So a man can't answer the phone because then that would mean Dorothy has, yeah. is living with the man. And then he can't answer as Dorothy in Dorothy's voice because both of their girlfriends will think that they've got another woman over. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's so a they, pretty good they, scene. They can't get the phone. The, so, I mean, I actually don't have as many issues with the with his whatever he has going on with Julie friendship. Well, I think that's the major relationship of the movie. Yeah. So I don't have as much problem with that. I do have a big issue with his relationship with Terry Garr's character, Sandy, which is like, so like the reason he's gone over to her house and she's in the shower. I forget. I don't know if they were going to run lines or what the deal was, but he decides to like try on one of her dresses to mm-hmm. see if it would maybe work for his new character that he's doing. And, um, she comes out of the shower and he's like in his underwear. Mm-hmm. Um, so she thinks he's hitting on her. So he just sleeps with her. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, I mean, that's, that's fine. I, I don't know. But then he proceeds to like, she's pretty upfront about like, if, if, if you're dating me, um, you know, let's date. And if you, you, know, don't, if if you don't, mean anything, then just let me get over this. Let me, and, na- let me know now. Yeah. Because otherwise I'll wait by the phone and I'll be upset all the yeah. time and just put do the hurt now and yeah. we'll move on. Yeah. And he uh, is concerned about hurting her feelings. And so he like leads her on, does the exact things she said not for him to do, you know. You know. And accepts this transaction of their kind of dating, but he's not available. He lies to her all the time. He always forgets their dates because yeah. he's, meanwhile, pursuing yeah. Julie, the Jessica Lange character. Yeah. As a friend. <laughs> as a friend. But he's attracted to her, so yeah. he's actually trying to get closer to her yeah. because he is attracted to her. Yeah. So... That is okay. very... That is very weird, yeah. Very weird situation. 
So it's funny because the, I don't know, is Wikipedia, this is described as a romantic comedy. Somebody no. said that. Is the romantic comedy between Jessica Lange and... I don't, I don't know. I don't the, think it's a romantic nothing, comedy. It shouldn't, I don't think it should be built as However, a romantic comedy. However, <laughs> that is the most important relationship in the movie, I think, because through that he learns for a while to be a friend and to become a different type of person. I Maybe. mean, I was like, I'm, if I'm, the big lesson is that women are people, then it doesn't seem like he would need to dress up like a woman for two months to find that out. But wait, is, <laughs> is that the lesson? I, I don't know. Um, I, or is the lesson that he can be more in touch with his feelings? He's an actor. I assume he's somewhat in touch with his feelings. So, so I don't know. I think <laughs> the movie, I think it even states it at the end is like as Dorothy because he's living as Dorothy he becomes a better person yeah. as a woman than he is than he was as capable. a man yeah than he was capable of being when he was just a man with a woman or so, something like that but so he develops what feels in some ways like quite a good friendship with yeah. Julie or like that there's a connection there and like but that's completely fucked up by the fact that he's basically trying to sleep with her or is yeah. attracted to her too. So what is genuine there? Obviously yeah. he's, he is something for her because she's vulnerable. They talk about real things together. Yeah. They become like two women, you know, girlfriends hanging out. Mm -hmm. Like she invites them over for dinner. She invites them to her dad's farm for Christmas and kind of tries to start setting him up with her dad. Yeah. <laughs> the Charles Durning character. But the sad thing about the movie is that that's a real friendship to Jessica Lang, And... It's not... It's a deepening... Like, he thinks he's getting closer yeah. to her. But he's getting closer to her not as himself, as a lie. Yeah. You know, as this character. As a woman, which he isn't. Yeah. Under the pretenses that they're just friends while he's actually attracted to her. So there's this whole... There's so many layers of deception there. But also... Is he just acting as a better person? Or is he, when he's with her, more empathetic, able to listen, like, in any way, a better person? Or is it always just a performance? What is, what is the movie saying and what are we getting? That's what I... That's what, so the closest thing I think we get to sort of a mission statement or overall theme is, like, towards about three quarters of the way through the film before the sort of final thing happens where he sort of reveals himself and everything that is a conversation between him and Sidney Pollack where like, and this is where I'm not sure if they intended this, but like, he's just been like, he's like, like a, or, you know, Dorothy is the, like a, on a bunch of magazine covers as like, like voice for the unheard women in the world and all this stuff like that. And him and after that happens, him and, you know, Sydney are walking, his agent are walking around and like, you know, he's making some statement about how he understands like, you know, the struggles of women because he's been an unpaid actor for however long. And like, you know, his agent was like, you're an idiot. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the thing is like, I don't think that at least for me that the character ever gets the realization that 
his struggles are not the same as an oppressed segment of society that that yeah so he he couldn't find work and he can't work exactly how he wants to but his struggles are not the same as you know that julie experiences that terry gar experiences and like the thing is is the thing that i think is missing from this film is it's told entirely from michael's point of view we never get to hear i mean and and to an extent i don't think that julie or terry gar's character are as fully developed as they could be so that they're the ones saying those lines. Because I would love for it not to be the agent that says that, but Julie that says that. Mm -hmm. That, you know... You know, you... You mean saying to Michael as a man? As a man that you can't possibly understand what it's like, you know. Or for, actually, it should be Terry Gar's character that says that. You don't know, you know... You living like a woman 50% of the time is not the same as actually being a woman, you know, and how that shapes you and forms you. And, you know, it's frustrating that in this environment, I mean, like, that's the thing I'm worried about is, is the message because of his masculinity that he's able to be successful. And if that's the message, then that's really unfortunate. Because I think that that's a message that we get a lot, which is like, you have to emulate masculinity in order to get be successful in the world as it's currently structured. This is where I get really <laughs> deeply uncomfortable with yeah. the movie saying things that I don't know if they're intending to say yeah. or if they are intending to say this yeah. and it's just fucking patriarchal as fuck kind yeah. of thing. Because, like, what does it mean yeah. that this actor, Dustin Hoffman as Michael Dorsey, as Dorothy Michael, can go in and, like, become this icon... Like, so yeah. what is the message here? That a man can be a better woman than a woman? Yeah. Or that he, is it kind of, it's almost that white savior kind of thing of mm-hmm. the man can go in and show all of these other women and the world how to be an assertive, yeah. like strong woman. Yeah. Well, they did have the, and then there's the one scene where Dorothy can't get rid of the actor that's come to visit her. And so he shows up at her apartment like demands to be let in in that way, you know, will not leave her alone, will not take no for an answer. And then attacks her. And then attacks her. And the only, I mean, like, before um, he has a chance to reveal himself, his roommate comes home. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I don't know, they say some some uncomfortable stuff about sexual assault at that point. (laughs) Um, Well, basically, first of all, the the actor, Van Horn, Mm -hmm. who's... pushed himself on her and is like forcing himself on her um immediately steps off and is like oh you own this woman kind of thing i mean like because they assume that jeff the bill murray character is is dorothy's boyfriend that's what he assumes he's like okay nothing happened here i need you to know that and uh bill murray of course is wryly saying yes thank you very much yeah it's just like i mean like it's that thing that i mean and i think I mean, I've certainly done it, which is when you are the subject of unwanted attentions from a man that you don't know, it is often that you sort of like, I have a boyfriend, I have a fiance, because it's easier to do that than to say no and have risk the unpleasantness of a man with her feelings. Here's why that scene feels... (laughs) wrong with the way they talk about it is because he said 
thank God, he says basically something to the effect of, thank God you walked in right there, because mm-hmm. I was about to, he, yeah. was, he was he was on to me, and it, it was about to break the whole thing. And what he means is his identity would have been revealed. He isn't actually at any risk yeah. like a woman would be in that situation. And then he says something like, but rape, you know, it's no laughing matter, or whatever, yeah. it's a serious it's thing. The, that was kind of um, shitty. Well, I mean, also, I would say that, he, I think as, I mean, like, if you think about, this guy was a large dude. And, yeah. like, Dustin Hoffman is not a large man. No, no. So, I mean, like, I think that you end He's up with the risk of, I mean, like, I don't think he realized his own danger in the situation either. So, I mean, that's another kind of privileges that, like, in that situation, had he revealed himself, the assumption would be that he was... A trans man and then often men who find themselves in that situation react violently so i mean like i don't think that that he realized the danger for for himself you know no in essence it's played as it's played for the fact that he's almost caught in his lie a trans woman sorry it it almost messes up the whole thing and it's a comic scene basically Yeah. yeah he's never seem to be at any risk it's not it's not yeah. a real authentic moment so it's it's hard to i mean because these issues have become so um so much a part of what we're dealing with actively in our society right now it just feels it feels weird to laugh about it in that sort of way mm-hmm. you know um i mean like i think ultimately they were trying to get at the there is I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, like, to me, what the message, the ultimate message for me that I got out of that was that, you know, well, it's it's like the, what is the book about the guy who dresses up as a black man and, like, lives as a black man in the South and, like, as if, as if that's the same thing, you know. It's black the, like me? Yeah, and, like, what it ends up, what what you end up finding out is not like how terrible it is for people in this, you know, oppressed class, but you learn how clueless the the dominant, you know, people are. And mm-hmm. they continue to be, even if they, you know, experience, you know, they're still able to like brush off these things as if they are just something that happens once and not like over and over and over and well, over, you know. Isn't this movie to some extent trying to say, hey, look at all this shit that women have to put yeah. up all the time in the workplace and in their personal and professional lives, right? Because so many of the things you yeah. he encounters as Dorothy Michaels are these like things that women have to deal with every single day, yeah. right? But it's presented as, oh my God, look what he has to deal with. Yeah. There's this guy coming on. There's the lewd director who calls him toots and hun yeah. and all that all the time. Um, there's the guy trying to force himself on him all the time. Yeah. I don't even know. But I mean, like to me, a more important message is that as a privileged class, as a white straight man... Even even the, like, you know, the facade of pretending to be a woman for it, like, means that he's still completely clueless as to, you know. And, and like, I would, if, if we want to go deeper, I would venture to say that 
you know, women in privileged classes, like straight, white, Mm -hmm. successful women are clueless to the struggles of, you know, women who aren't, aren't attractive and, you know, aren't from a dominant, you know, it's just like, I mean, to me, that should be the message. In 1982, I doubt that that's the message that they were trying to get across, which is that, that there's so much deeper going on here um, that's impacting like our entire society and the, you know, structures from the top to the bottom. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's just weird to see them try to make this into a, and then you just, you feel bad for like Terry Garr's dad, you know, who's like, sorry, Jessica Lange's dad, you know, who they, you know, is clearly interested in him and like hasn't really been interested in a woman since his since yeah, his wife so died. This sweet older yeah. man played by Charles Durning lives on the farm. His daughter is the Jessica Lange character, yeah. and he's just immediately just falls for Dorothy. Yeah, Michael as Dorothy. Yeah, they, she stays the the holidays with them. You know, they have the like he's kind of courting her. Yeah, you know, sitting in the swing at night with her and looking at the stars and. Like, they're around the piano, the three of them playing songs, and he's singing, and he's, like, lit up. It's, like, reawakened yeah. his well, interest in women. it's kind of awful, because, like, he lets him believe that and doesn't yeah. really do any much to dissuade it in order to, like, spend time as a woman with yeah, lying to Julie the whole time. Ends up, they have to share a bed together in yeah. the... In the uh, ranch house, in the farmhouse, yeah. uh, when he's there. Because the upstairs all boarded up. Yeah. I actually, though, <laughs> despite that premise being a little weird, yeah, because I'm like, they have a house. Why did they make this? Like, they have to share the bed the upstairs together. upstairs is all boarded up. Right. That's that's the line that explains <laughs> it. But I actually really do like the scene where they're lying there in the dark together and he's put on his uh, curler's wig, yeah. you know? He's, he has to go off and... <laughs> and not be a man going to bed, but a woman who going to bed. Well, that's the thing. I, I was like, when we're watching this, like, there's a couple, like, things that, like, it's like, did they even talk to a woman when they wrote this script? Like, they have the scenes where he's, like, getting up, early, like, 4.30 in the morning to, to get ready. To shave his legs. And to shave his, his legs and, and uh, put on fingernails every morning. And I was yeah. like, who gets up to put fingernails that's on every morning? Like... I mean, like, you go to the salon, you get your nails done once, and then you don't have to worry about it for, like, three weeks or something yeah. like that. You don't... It's not like... Um, yeah. <laughs> That's not, like, a daily exercise yeah. for people. Um, but the other part of me was, like, wouldn't it be clear to them that she's wearing a wig the whole time? Like, it's not that strange for women to wear wigs. Like, a lot of women do. No. You know, because they don't like their hair or... You know, there's lots of reasons to wear wigs, um, they just want to change it up or whatever. So why doesn't he just like take his, you know, he can leave the makeup on, <laughs> just take the wig off. It was very weird. Know. Like, no, I have to have a curler wig. He's, <laughs> he's got a curler wig and he wears so much makeup because he has a mustache problem. Yeah. A little mustache problem. But I just, I just wanted to call out that, that little, that scene with her remembering her childhood thing of picking out the wallpaper with her mom and yeah. that kind of friend friendly vulnerable moment that they yeah that was that was friendship moment and then he strokes her hair and then it's kind of like "Mm, yeah let's not get physical so i mean like the thing is is the way this ends is like 
you know, he reveals himself on the on the show. Basically, b- because the character is so successful that they renew his contract. It's an option that they have the decision on. And he doesn't want to... He only wanted to earn money to do Jeff's play. He no. needed about $8,000. And now... And it was supposed to be for six weeks or something. And mm. now... They want to add him as a regular character for the next year, and he wants to get out. And he begs his he begs his agent Sidney Pollack yeah. to get him out. There's no way to get him out. Can I die? You know, can what what can they do? Can they kill me off? They you can't get out. And so again, he has one of his brilliant brainstorms to get out. So they, I guess, it's a soap opera. They lost. Um, they lost the reels the from the day before. Yeah. So they have to reshoot the reel, which is like the party for... Well, they have to perform live yeah. for the soaps going out live that day. For and Kelly they... or Alice or whatever her name is. Alice Kelly? Kelly? I don't know. His character. Oh, uh, Emily Kimberly. It's uh, a weird or name. something, yeah. Yeah. So he like um, goes off script and like essentially like reveals that he's actually the brother of the of the nurse who died in the previous. Which means on live television because they have to reshoot, they have yeah. to be, they have to redo that part live. He suddenly he does his thing again. We've seen him do it three or four times before, where he goes off script and all the producers and the actors are just there on tender hooks, like completely yeah. freaking out because it's live now and he's going off the rails, completely yeah. off book, and uh, he. Uh, makes on the fly makes up some whole weird elaborate thing about how he's actually the brother rips off the wig the makeup reveals himself to be michael dorsey the man the whole time and it's a one it's actually a great scene i'm impressed how easily his makeup comes off but that's another thing it's such a great scene where you see everybody's (laughs) reactions you know jeff his roommates watching it on tv uh, the poor charles durning the dad is in love with who's proposed to him giving him a ring an engagement ring he's he's still leading him on he's just gonna think about it and And then julie socks him as he deserves to be which by the way we never mentioned the fact that during one of their yeah yeah, that during one of their heart to hearts he leaned in and tried to kiss her and so now she thinks he's a lesbian and and that he's coming on to her well he is coming on to her he's not a lesbian yeah um don't know what he is anymore I don't know. That's that's so there's that. too. That's, I mean, like, is it supposed to be funny? I mean, like, it just like, I don't know. They I think the actors did a fine job of making it seem as awkward as it would be, you mm-hmm. know, to have a pass made at you and you not, you know. Um, well, here's Jessica Lang is so good. She is. She won the act. She won the best supporting actress oh, for wow. this. It's the only award the, the movie won. It was nominated for like nine things, like all the big ones, Dustin yeah. Hoffman for actor and Sidney Pollack for director, best film. But what it won was Jessica Lange. And I love the scene in the doorway of her um, her dressing room mm. when he tries to make up for that yeah. awkwardness and comes to her door with a present that's for her baby, Amy. Amy. Yeah. And um, that scene where she says, you know, I can't see you anymore. I feel like I'd be leading you on. Yeah. And um, with the tear in her eye, she says, you know, I really do love you, but I can't love you. Yeah, yeah. I love that scene. I, I think that that... And, like, the thing is, is, like, all... I think one way to improve this film would be for it not to seem like she's going to forgive him and get with him at the end. Because I, I mean, that's the thing is like they need her just to stay mad 
And the fact that he betrayed someone like that and got close to someone under false pretenses and pretended to be some big, like, crusader for for women's rights, like, all of that stuff is kind of unforgivable, you know. And if he learned something from it, then that's great. He learned something from it. But, like, the thing is, is when you make a choice like that, I feel like you should lose something. And there's no reason why he should get to make his play in the in New York and also get to be with Julie after he like And not only that. Yeah. make friends with the her dad. Yeah. in the bar cuz he yeah, goes to apologize. Well, I don't even know <laughs> that he actually apologizes. He gives him back the engagement ring. Yeah. meets the guy goes back as as Michael himself. Yeah. meets her dad in the bar. And somehow they end up shooting pool together and drinking beer, and now they're, like, friends. Well, I mean, and so the thing is, it's like, this didn't have to happen. Like, he could have chosen not to go to the mountains or to the country. I mean, like, this was all choices that he made, you know, in a situation that was impossible. And then I assume that he thought because he he hit on her at a party using the information that he gleaned from their time together when he was Dorothy and she completely rejected him as she should have, you know, because, um, that, that there was no way for him to, to do, to approach her where she would be receptive to his things, which is ridiculous. Um, I don't know. So the last scene of the movie is him approaching her on the street as she's coming out of the, the TV studio and, of course, she just keeps walking, doesn't want to talk, talk to, to him. him. He's walking beside her, and he apologizes. And somehow, within two minutes, they're walking off laughing and smiling together. Yeah. And that's too easy and it too pat. It feels tacked on. It feels like... Like, there's no... I can't figure out how else the movie could be structured. But I feel like it needs another act or something it needs yeah. like it should it not tell who he is after this i mean we don't see enough of we don't see like the change enough yeah we don't and we exactly. also don't and we also don't see any real consequences for all that he just did that was shitty yeah i think yeah i think it's unsatisfying that they walk off like chatting together and joking around just because he said, you know, you really, you know, she says, I really miss Dorothy. Yeah. And, he and says, he's like, I'm Dorothy. He, underneath he's like, I am Dorothy. He's like, he's she's right Dorothy. here. Yeah. I'm still here. Yeah. And, and like, <laughs> I get that that's tempting to write as a screenwriter. <laughs> and, but it, it doesn't. Well, to me, it, you, it, can, it, you it, can't it, have it both ways. You can't spend the whole thing talking about how women are treated differently than men. Also, and then flip it at the end and be like, okay, but I'm the same person under it. Even, yeah, you what know. What they developed was a yeah. female friendship yeah. among women where he's not even, like, he's performing. Yeah. And so he can just say, I'm, that's still me. I'm, yeah. I, I understand what they're trying to do, but that does not feel satisfying. Yeah. It felt more satisfying when well, I was Well, I mean, like, I think we should be at a place where people are people and... And we can develop relationships without this expectation of one thing or another. But that's not the reality. I mean, they just showed us that that's not the reality of the world that these people live in. So, yes, she developed with a relationship with a woman named Dorothy. 
not a relationship with a man named Michael, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I think the thesis of the movie is that Michael, I think they're trying to tell us yeah. that Michael becomes a better person when he's a woman than he is yeah. as a man. And so at the end, you're supposed to see him on the other side of this lesson changed, having realized that there was something about the way he was that... That's what I think the movie is trying to say. In fact, they put the line in his mouth. It's actually a really good quote. And Jessica Lange and Dustin Hoffman play the scene perfectly. I mean, it plays. um, And he says to her, it's that same exchange, he says... I was a better man with you as a woman than I ever was with a woman as a man. And that's the kind of the thesis of the movie because mm-hmm. you see the other side of that, how he treats Terry Gar. Yeah. Well, he's supposedly being so empathetic and such a great friend and so uh, a listener and really deeply connected to Jessica Lang when they're women friends and they're, you know, yeah. he's give he's like lying to Terry Gar breaking their dates, leading mm. her on, because he's never really into her. He yeah. just started that to get out of being found out or something. I mean, it was like a yeah. convenient to avoid awkwardness. So what did he create? Months of awkwardness instead. Yeah. Terry Gar is the poor, like, that character, Sandy. I feel so bad for her. Like, she's the one I feel... Who, well, the like, thing is, is, like, I actually think, like, of the women... She's self-aware. She she knows she's insecure. She knows herself in a way that, like, I don't think Julie's character does because she's never really able to, like, make decisions for her own life about, like, ending her relationship with the director and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, like, in a sense, I almost feel like Terry Gar's character is, I, I don't know. Maybe her character is the one that grew up. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. But I mean, like, I don't... To me, the apology to to Julie doesn't matter. She should be mad. She should... His... I mean, like, I think the way that you end this better is that you apologize to Terry Gar and go back to being friends. I think that's the way that you end that. You know, that they're able to have a functional working relationship where, you know, they make art together, you know, and he respects her as a creative person (laughs) rather than this, like, I get to have a relationship with the woman I'm attracted to, you know, that I made friends with under false pretenses. Hands down, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene where she breaks up with him. Yeah. Yes, that's that was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She comes over. He tries to give her the chocolates that Jessica Lange's dad gave to her. She sees that it has a note to Dorothy Love Less. Asks him, why is a man named Less giving you chocolates? And no, that's not for me. That's for another girl. She's like, who's the other girl? All that, whatever. Mm. And then he, that's when he tells the truth and says, Mm. I'm in love with another woman. And then she screams. Screams, She shrieks. And it's just. She's like, I told you not to do this to me. You know, when we, you know, when we first slept together, you know. And then she's like, that's it. I'm done. And then she says, but I'm a professional. We're still going to do the play yeah. together. You're not going to take that from me. I'm going to, I'm. that's my, yeah. that's my part. And then she grabs the chocolates and slams the door. Yeah. It's good stuff. That's a good scene. So, I mean, like, I think that if we had, you know, maybe ended on like, she's, Julie still doesn't want to talk to him. But the last scene is them, is him and Terry Gar making the play together. I think that that's a better way to end that. 
that shows that he's learned that to to respect women for the creative forces they are and not what they offer him sexually or or emotionally or whatever, you know. Instead, I feel like Michael doesn't Or in the way of fashion. I feel like instead Michael gets rewarded for all no. of the bad behavior. Why does it matter that he Well, gets- he's still a bad person. That's the thing. He's still he was a bad person as a man, he's a bad person as a woman. He's just But he's a, a slightly better bad person. He's a slightly ba- I mean like and gender doesn't have anything to do with it. He did shitty things when he was a man. He was doing really shitty things when he was a woman. And like maybe he got more in touch with his emotions, but he was still like forgive me for my shitty things that I was doing, you know. So, I says gender doesn't have. He's in a sense he's right. Gender. What does it he's mean? still the same person. He's still a bad person, whether he's a man or a woman. Why does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean that he's able to perform the part of a more empathetic, yeah, person like Dorothy is? <sighs> well, that's a whole thing because that our he, society doesn't let men. Because if he knows what you should be doing yeah. as a good human being, yeah. you know, being in, you know, being a caring listener and a friend who gives and takes and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Why isn't he living that? Instead, it's just a part he's playing. Yeah. For a job. I don't know. So, I mean, like, the thing is, is, like, it does take energy. I mean, like, they say it doesn't take energy to be a nice person. It does take energy to be a nice person. The thing is, is that we give men the excuse that they don't have to be. You know, is he really a nice person as Dorothy, <laughs> or is he just being the same perfectionist actor yeah. that he always is? Yeah. He's living the part just like he would any other part. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think of Dustin Hoffman's performance as Dorothy Michaels? Oh, I think Dustin Hoffman is an act is an excellent actor. I mean, he just is. Um, I mean, like. It's funny, there's, like, a scene where um, he's on the street and he sees, like, a woman that's, like, the kind of woman that he wants Dorothy to be. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like that is, like, a touch of reality. Like, he studied a type of woman that he wanted Dorothy mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. And took those sort of mannerisms and... And, um... I, it's it's interesting, like, because, like, he, even, it's, it's, I don't know if he wore prosthetics or not, if or it's just makeup. I don't know. We, I don't know. We have to watch the extras. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, but, like, um, I, and I guess it helps that he's kind of, like, a small man, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that he's sort of, I don't know. I mean, like, he, he is a pretty believable, you know, especially when you put the glasses on, you know, you know as, as a woman, like physically, I guess. Yeah. With you know, the physicality, his voice drives me nuts, but that's one of my favorite scenes <laughs> of his physicality as Dorothy is when he reveals himself to his agent in the Russian tea room yeah. and goes and like sits in the booth <laughs> with him. And then the two, like the colleagues come over, you know, the other producers come yeah. over to talk at the table and he's there like futzing with his, like, yeah. like, he's, like, being kind of flirty with uh, um, Sidney Pollack. <laughs> it's very silly. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's so hard to, <laughs> as, like, again, just as, as far as we've come in our perceptions about gender, or, mm-hmm. well, I mean, some of us, um, 
to like look at that and and separate it from what we know now I guess mm-hmm. I don't know um so you didn't hate it I didn't hate it no <laughs> I still think it's like <laughs> a really entertaining movie yeah yeah there were some it's certainly got levels of being problematic that I wasn't even aware of when I was a teenager yeah. when I was certainly not when I was 11 years old but like it can still inspire discussion like this I think there's definitely a lot going on in the text and in the movie in the performances that they're conscious of and then this like we've been talking about this whole other layer of stuff it's sending out that I don't know (laughs) if it's intentional but it doesn't read well now well I mean so there are a lot of ways that like movies that that deal with I don't know, cops dressing up with women as women mm-hmm. to go undercover or which I think is like they made a Matt LeBlanc movie in the 90s, which looks like wretched um, of uh, Joey dressing up as a woman. You lost you know? me a Matt LeBlanc movie. <sighs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, like the thing is, is they didn't do the thing that they do in in some like it hot where they make the joke. Or. Only occasionally did they make the joke. It's not that, all about. Like, it's it's like, not all boob jokes and all that know, kind of stuff. It's it's not like that. It's not. Um, but it's. Look. Yeah. <laughs> Dorothy Michaels is kind of passable as a woman. Mm-hmm. There's no attempt in some like it hot for those two guys to be passed. There's no way anybody would ever see them as anything but but Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis in drag. Like, they do not look like women at all. No. At all. (laughs) It's awful. It's a funny movie, though. Uh. I I, I mean, I'm kind of chewing on something here that, like... She's after the big idea. Yeah. I don't don't know, because, like, there's... Because there's a, a more subtle understanding that we have of how... That, like, gender is a construct and, like, how we dress and choose to present ourselves to the world, mm-hmm. you know. But then there's, like, another layer of this, which is that his is, I mean, taking that to the next level, is an, rather than just a performance that you put on for the world, I'm performing the role of Ashley Carr, the woman in mm-hmm. society. He's playing the role of Dorothy, mm-hmm. the woman in this soap opera, you mm-hmm. know, that he's, so, I mean, like, it's... It's a performance on top of a performance, if that makes yes, sense. Yes, because he's playing Dorothy Michaels, who's playing this character, Dr. Kinley, yeah. Kimberly or whatever. So and, so there's times when he's on set and he's being Dorothy. And then there's the times when the camera is not rolling and he's being, he's inhabiting Dorothy. And, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know what exactly it is. But, like, what are you seeing a disconnect? Between well, it's who just he the, I mean, like, so camera? being inauthentic for a camera performance is different than being on inauthentic in relationships where you're trying to develop an authentic connection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know, but like, I mean, like, if gender is just a costume that we put on for. The world, mm-hmm. you know, which I believe that it is mm-hmm. that whatever 
gender costume that you choose to put on. That's fine as long as you aren't, like, terrible to other people. He fails that, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I don't know. There's there's certain things that I... And, and then, like, realistically, would an actor who was unable to find work be able to dress up like a woman and get a role? Probably not. No, but that's... That's you the know, high concept of you the know, movie. I, I, it is a movie I mean, concept. <laughs> I mean, like... And I think the Tom Hanks show came out around the same time. You know, it's a sort of... That sort of thing where... Late 70s, I think. Uh, that's what, like, he could only get a roommate if he was a woman or something like that. They couldn't like find that. anywhere to live except in a women's dormitory, dormitory or something. okay, yeah. It's so, just like... Yeah. I mean, and maybe that's my own sort of, like, like that doesn't seem realistic to me, you know? Yeah. Like, if you're presenting a world that is the same as the world that we live in, it's not sci-fi, but it's like, you've got this actor who's so terrible that he can't find any work, but, oh, he can dress like a woman and find, you know, success. Which doesn't make sense, <laughs> <Yeah>. because now, <laughs> so... Isn't the whole premise that he can't find work because he's too difficult? Yeah. But now he's not too difficult. He's difficult in a way that actually is a plus for this woman, the the actress, Dorothy. Or like on the soap opera, there are no actresses in all of New York that can play the role. I mean, the truth is for a soap opera, if you can find an actress that can say the lines somewhat convincingly and they need to have you in the script tomorrow... They're going to cast you. Yeah. They're not going to, like, send away... They're not going to spend, like, four days yeah. casting for a bit part that they... I mean, like, I don't know. It's, that's neither here nor there. Um, one thing I did like, and I think I mentioned this right when we first watched it, is it reminds me of um, Barry, which we've been watching. <laughs> um, oh, with his acting lessons? Yeah, yeah, especially, like, the acting teaching sort of thing and this sort of, like... He's the same sort of character that can't get hired because of his anger Yeah, issues. the Henry Winkler character yeah, from Barry Cousineau. Um, um, and as we know, nothing, nothing good happens to uh, egotistical, angry uh, acting teachers. Yeah. I think that, I, again, I know we already talked about that, but that opening is so good because it has to prove to us that he is a good actor, but that he's difficult. And yeah. so we have to see him act as Michael acting yeah. in, and, and teaching his class. And we see some fragments of him performing where he's really good. Yeah. And then we also have to see and hear how difficult he is yeah. to buy the premise. But then... <laughs> His being difficult as Dorothy is only a plus, which is yeah. kind of weird. Now no, it's not that, a deal breaker. Well, that's the other thing that's not realistic is that, I mean, like, that's have they ever talked to a woman? Like, seriously, when they wrote the script. Because when you're difficult and argumentative, you don't get rewarded for that. I no. mean, maybe over the long term, being assertive might help. But, like, I don't know. It's like, there's this whole, like, generational thing. Like, the difference between you know, women leaders who are, you know, in their 70s now and women leaders who are in their 40s and, like, the differences between them, mm -hmm. you know, and, like, I mean, and I don't know, maybe if it's just because I grew up in Texas, but the there weren't a whole lot of female leaders to choose from, but the ones that I know are, like, Ann Richards, Molly Ivins, kind of, so they're, like, tough, sassy Assertive, mm -hmm. you know, but like, you know, and, and 
And probably, like, you know, it's a combination of their assertiveness and this, I mean, they had to be smarter and better than everyone else, but it cost them, like, some of their, I mean, like, I don't know, it's... I don't want to like throw gender in this, but it cost them some of their empathy mm-hmm. in order to be successful in in mm-hmm. the thing, you know. And they're still funny, and they're still, but there's some cost to their empathy, and that feels like sort of an old fashioned way of looking at women leaders. And I don't think that the women leaders that we have now mm-hmm. have that same mm-hmm. sort of absence of empathy that they've been able to hold on to. And like, I don't want to tie that to trying to be masculine, but mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much how it would have been seen. Mm-hmm. But now I think hopefully we're getting to a point where those characteristics, that empathy is not a feminine characteristic. It's a characteristic of a good human being who mm-hmm. wants to do good in the world, you know, regardless of their gender expression <laughs> or something. <laughs> wow. You always go so big by the I'm time. I'm sorry. We get to... No, it's really good. <laughs> That's why I knew this would be a good conversation. <laughs> I knew you were going to be able to take it take it there. I don't know. I mean, like, it's interesting. Like, any time I see Dustin Hoffman, I just see his character from The Graduate. And so, <laughs> I mean, actually, his character in this isn't all that different from his character in The Graduate, I guess. So, you know, I don't know. He's a good actor. He is a good actor. Well, I'm glad... Is he still alive? Yeah, of course he is. Has he been in anything recently? I don't know that I've seen him in anything recently. He's freaking doing like master classes and stuff, uh, you know. Yeah. On that website. Um, Masterclass? Yeah. You know the one I'm t- I can't remember what it's called. Something about <laughs> um, like, you know, masterpiece class. You know, uh, teacher. Uh, Henry Winkler's character also has exactly. a masterclass in the world. Yeah, based so. on that kind of thing. <laughs> all right. Well, it, do you have any final thoughts on the movie? Because I think that's about all I have. Um, I mean, like, you know, as I often am, my assumptions can be wrong. And in this case, I was pleasantly surprised with it. Um, I think that it's about as subtle and egalitarian as 1982 could Mm -hmm. possibly produce. And I'm actually impressed that this is like a... A top movie. It seems kind of unusual. It, it was a huge box office yeah. hit. It was a blockbuster. Like yeah. it made, I mean, that was probably $20 million to shoot and earned hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars at the box office and was like really critically well regarded. Yeah. It was, it was a top movie of the time and well, it's on all I mean, the American they, Film Institute lists and all that. They managed to slip in a more subtle message than maybe they even realized into a sort of thing that ended up being a hit for the masses, which is impressive. I mean, I would bet that the majority of the masses, that message pretty much went over their head, you know? Oh, there's a whole bunch of ghostwriters on the movie, too. Like, I think Nora Ephron was on the script, too. I mean, so there's a reason they got really talented people to work on this. Yeah. Yeah. I like Nora Ephron. From the writing stage on. And, uh, (laughs) And as far as I know, I understand that to Michael... Dorsey character and how difficult he is. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be definitely is is Dustin. Hoff- it's supposed to be. No. De- they're making fun of Dustin Hoffman because yeah. he had that reputation. Interesting. So they're 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 exaggerating and and yeah. bringing out like this is what everybody thinks. You're like anyway. Let's go with that. Let's show that. 
Well, I kind of wondered how, like, like Bill Murray and Dustin Hoffman... I mean, they didn't have that many scenes together. No. Um, but, like, they're both sort of notoriously difficult um, yeah. actors. So yeah. I wonder if they played well together or they... I wonder if Bill yeah. Murray was as difficult then as he is now when yeah. he's regarded as a legend and all that kind I of thing. I think that Bill Murray has always been... It's like, yeah. you know, I, I hate to hear it, but, you know, there have been some rumors about, like, uh, f- people reporting that Bill Murray, you know, treated people badly. Yeah. And, like, I hate to hear that because I like Bill Murray as an actor, but I honestly I'm not surprised. Yeah. And, like, that's because the environment that they were in at the time. I mean, I don't want to blame it entirely on them. They're still deciding to behave in the way that they know yeah. they shouldn't. Um, but that, um, I'm not that surprised to hear that, you know, if, I mean, if I heard that Robert De Niro was a shithead to people, I wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. You know, it I've just, never heard that, you know, <laughs> he's supposed to be a really nice guy. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, but yeah, I, I he's think supposed like to the, be a really quiet, introverted, like really serious, <laughs> well, that's intelligent, good. That's like, good to hear. <laughs> genuine, nice guy. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I guess it doesn't take much to, but like in, in an environment as we know, as, as toxic as Hollywood is yeah. in the seventies and eighties, then unfortunately it wouldn't surprise me that many of our great actors engaged in the same sort of you know, mm-hmm. you know, and like, I understand that they feel like, oh, the rules changed on us. Well, you should have been a good person from the beginning, yeah. you know, just because it's not about the rules. Yeah, it's <laughs> about be being shitty. a decent human yeah. being. So, um, you know, and we all make mistakes. But um, anyway, <laughs> I, I did enjoy this film. I did enjoy this conversation. Um, but it, it definitely is showing its age. So. All right. Well, that's what we have for you. I'm glad it was a successful endeavor <laughs> into the uh, my uh, past as a moviegoer, as a kid moviegoer, and yeah. uh, always fascinating to look again with with your new eyes decades later later at something that you liked way back when, which is what we do on this show. So now we have to watch Nine to Five and Mrs. Doubtfire, I but guess. but probably not next week. Not for the podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is not a, a preview of next week. I don't think Ashley's decided what we're going to watch. Uh, and I don't mean next week. Please don't take I, me. Uh, I, I'm always up for a feminist revenge fantasy. There's, there's not enough of those movies in this world. Yeah. So. Maybe you should pick a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be back when we're back. Let's face it. <laughs> we're going to a, a monthly show. Um, there's a lot for you guys to listen to out there anyway without us uh, clogging up the airwaves. So You can listen to uh, Hank and John every you, week. That's true. There's a lot, plenty of weekly Savage. shows for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we are not gone forever. We Occasionally, uh, life gets to us. We go on hiatus, but we will be back in a few weeks with another show. It'll be Ashley's pick, and we hope you'll listen again. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.